This is Content Content, a monthly podcast featuring the people behind the content. I'm Ed Marsh. This is episode number 14, recorded January 21st, 2017. Today's guest is Teresa Meek, a Seattle, Washington-based writer and content marketer. I met Teresa at Content Marketing World in Cleveland last September. Uh, she's had a really, really interesting career path from journalism to politics, even writing an e-book. E- uh, and now that's led to a career in content marketing. You can find out more about her at TeresaMeek.com. And you can follow her on Twitter at Domesticus. Um, hi, Teresa. How are you today? I'm good. Hi, Ed. Hey. Um, so you've really had an interesting career, and the more I looked at your website and your resume, I was it was just an amazing depth of a variety of of uh, career of positions. So can you uh, tell us a bit about your career path and how you ended up in content marketing? Sure. Uh, I started off in journalism. I had always wanted to be a writer. Sort of knew I would be a writer, and, and I came into journalism from that angle. Uh, I was a reporter at the Miami Herald, and then I started freelancing for a number of other major news publications. So that was my career, and um, then I got married and uh, moved to the West Coast and then to Hawaii. Oh, nice. And I, yeah, we lived in Kauai, Hawaii for uh, eight years, and it was a beautiful place, but there was really nothing going on in the way of journalism. So mm-hmm. I got into real estate, sold luxury real estate there, which was fun, but oh, um, not as much fun as writing. So mm-hmm. I also created a, a newsletter. It started off just for my clients, um, and it wasn't really about real estate. It was about the whole island, the, the sights, the smells pictures of albatrosses when they were being born, you know, hatching out of their eggs, and, and the island politics, everything. It was like a mini newspaper, huh. really. Nice. And with my journalism background, it just kind of came naturally to put that together, and my husband took fabulous pictures. Uh, <laughs> so that was an e-newsletter, and it really caught on. Um, it spread far beyond my clients. I had over a 1,000 subscribers, and this was in the early 2000s when there were as many people online, Uh, and they'd pass it to other people, and they'd come to the island and meet me, so that became successful, and um, it was kind of a reminder of what what my real mission in life was to do, was to write, Mm. Uh, and then later the real estate market crashed, and my husband and I missed the mainland and our relatives, so we ended up moving back, and... um, so we moved back to the mainland and uh, lived in, in Seattle, and this was in 2009, so there was a recession on, plus journalism was already going down the tubes, it had been for years, and the editors right. I contacted, um, the, my friend, they were you know very nice, but didn't have positions, my friends were all getting laid off, so I studied technical writing and got a certificate at the University of Washington, and did a little bit of that. Um, but I wasn't crazy about it. And then content okay. marketing came along. And I suppose I was one of the early people. I I got into that around 2012 when it was just starting to be a thing. And it really took off since then. So my career has kind of taken off too. I do a lot of work for Fortune 500 brands, um, both B2B, a lot of tech companies, Microsoft, Hewlett Packard, Dell, Samsung, CenturyLink, etc., uh, and some B2C, Delta, Coca-Cola, um, some bank B2C for KeyBank, JP Morgan, things like that. So hmm. 
Uh, right now, I'm blessed. There's a lot of work out there, and I enjoy doing it. <laughs> so I just sort of fell fell into content marketing because if you're a writer, you're a writer. That's what you can do. And I'm also an editor, and that's where the work was. But um, I enjoy hmm. it because it's a lot like journalism, with the exception that you can't mention competitor sources in the article, of course. Ah. Mm -hmm. Huh, that's interesting. Um, so... You know, basically a lot of the slant of my podcast has been technical writers and content strategy and stuff like that. So it's interesting to hear um, your perspective that you weren't crazy about technical writing. Can you tell us about your experience there and, and what, you know, what you did and didn't like about it? Uh, well, I just worked briefly for a few months as a contractor for a credit union and okay. uh, it wasn't bad. It was, you know, rewriting and arranging their internal documents. They call it knowledge management. And mm. um, I did like it, but, you know, it didn't have the life or the verve of uh, writing for an, mm. uh, an audience, an external audience, whether it's a B2B or B2C audience. And also didn't have the variety of, you know, all the different kinds of, of content I produce for different brands. And okay. I meet different people all the time, talk to them about what they need. And, and you know, and they appreciate it when they see that they're getting results. I mean, it takes a while. Content marketing is, um, is, you know, it came about because people are fed up with ads. They either have ad blockers or they just literally don't see them online and so brands <laughs> needed to find a better way to communicate with their audience and reach them so there's social media and content marketing where they can get into things in a little more depth in articles and there's various ways of doing it um, but they're definitely um, still doing it and uh, and finding it quite effective um, there were some things that I learned at content marketing world from Joe Polizzi's statistics um, Let's see, uh, that 61% of consumers are more likely to buy from a company if it has content marketing. And 70% of customers feel more comfortable getting to know a company through content rather than through ads. 90% uh, of consumers find sponsored content useful. And on and on. So it's, you know, it's a good way of reaching customers by providing them information that's actually useful to them or interesting to them. And many times it has nothing to do with the brand. There's different ways of doing content marketing, okay. but a lot of the stuff I do, like for the Forbes Brand Voice program, doesn't mention the brand at all. It's just uh, stories on topics that might be interesting to their customers. So if you're a company, you know, you just ask ask your salespeople or, or yourself, what kinds of questions are my customers asking? And each one of those can be a blog post. Um, okay. And you know what kind of what kind of things are going on in the industry? You're probably privy to all sorts of trade publications, industry news. What of that would be of interest to your customers who don't get these publications? And what's your take on it? It's always good to have a voice, to have a point of view, and that's hmm. something. Some that's a good reason that for corporations to hire writers too, because they tend to shy away from that. Um, but it's, you know, you get to know them and what their point of view is and have someone write it up effectively. And it, it's more interesting to read something with a point of view and a personality, maybe a little bit of humor in there. 
Um, right. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that you learn in journalism. It's really pounded into you. You're writing for your audience and um, right. for the general public who doesn't have specialized knowledge. And you want to keep them reading and get the useful information at the top, the old inverted pyramid. And so those skills <laughs> kind of come naturally to journalists, which is why journalists um, make good content marketers. Okay. Yeah, I actually... Uh, I think we mentioned this when we spoke when we first spoke that I went to school for journalism as well and ended up in the tech writing field. So it's interesting to hear, you know, some of the parallels, you know, I mean, we're always who is your user, write for your user, you know, that kind of stuff. So it sounds like there's some parallels there between journalism and technical writing and content marketing. For sure. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, and I think that's a good point that, you know, talk to your audience and, you know, maybe give them something. And maybe we as technical writers need to think about that a little bit differently and see, you know, maybe we're not just writing procedures or writing, you know, maybe something dry. Maybe there's something that we can add additional value and make it a bit more engaging for users and maybe follow some of that, uh, that content marketing uh, philosophy. I think the more humanistic approach you take, the better. It's always a person reading it, a person who has feelings. And, and, um, and also, it, if you write effectively, it helps people organize information. And you certainly know that as a technical writer. You, know, you, you use subheads, and for internet writing, you do a lot of that. You have subheads, short paragraphs, uh, right. so that people can easily scan and get the information that they want. Right, absolutely. I um, that's a good point. I think um, you know. I think we can certainly make things more engaging. I think uh, tech writers are kind of almost even afraid of blogging a little bit, or even putting themselves um, there a little bit of their personality in there. And I think maybe sometimes that's why uh, you know people don't use our our stuff as as much as we we would like them to do. You know, we're talked about it, and I think you gave us an, an overview, but. You know, in your eyes, as someone who's in the content marketing field, what is the difference between what I guess they call traditional marketing and content marketing? Is it more? Is it more than you know, just creating ads? Is it you know, like you said, the brand awareness? But if I don't, you know, I guess that falls along with um, you know, sponsored content. Are you doing sponsored content as well? There's all these different terms that have come up: sponsored content, native ads, uh, content mm. marketing. And I think the best term really is content marketing. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's different from traditional marketing and certainly different from advertising in that it's not in your face. It's not in the face okay. of the, the audience. It's not trying to sell somebody something. You know, that comes later in the, what they call the customer journey. But um, it's simply providing information and providing a take on events that um, that affect people in your industry, so that you become a trusted voice. It's really about becoming a thought leader, as overused as that phrase may be, mm. because uh, customers trust you if they see you're a font of information. I mean, I found that with my Kawhi newsletter so long ago, before there was such a thing as content marketing. People would say, oh, well, you know so much about the island. And I mean, other realtors knew about the island, too, but they didn't put it all down in, in um, blog posts and an e-newsletter, so it wasn't obvious. So it's about putting your knowledge on display, and it really does lead to trust And when people find the information useful. 
So it's not just information that's in a blog. I mean, having a blog is definitely the starting point. It's, it's really important. Um, but also brands should be commenting on social media. They should have their own social media feeds. And, um, and mm. also just going around the Internet, answering questions on Quora, for example. Particip- oh, okay. Yeah, participating in industry discussion boards and forums uh, and other people's blogs, influencer blogs, to and LinkedIn, writing you know the right. thought leadership pieces that can be published on LinkedIn. The idea is to build authority and uh, drive people to your website, where they'll see the blog and um, you know eventually the the theory is they'll. Um, They'll trust you. Is it you know if they want information about buying a stereo or whatever it is that they're doing, and eventually uh, buy from you. So hmm. that's that's how it works. It's a slower. It's a different kind of process from you know marketing, but it's perhaps more effective in a day when people have tuned out a lot of marketing and advertising because they just want information and they're able to get it on the internet. They're able to get. Um, you know, do a search and, and content marketing, if it's done right, comes up. It's Google recognizes that it's sponsored content. It's not quite okay. the same as news, but if it's high quality, they recognize that too. If it's not pushing a brand, their algorithms are able to pick up that kind of thing. And so it, um, hmm. it can get a lot of page views. I've had stories published with, you know, over 100,000 page views. Wow. Um, yeah, and they also build up over time, and your audience right. builds up over time. Joe Polizzi, uh, the founder of the Content Marketing Institute, which is the major um, place for content marketing, at the, that's the conference where we met, he said it takes 12 to 24 months for content marketing pr- to produce results. So it's a time, you know, when you, you build up your thought leadership reputation through blogs and, and commenting elsewhere, and maybe through public speaking, if you're invited as a speaker some places, um, ideally you'd write a book too, <laughs> and over time it starts to produce, it does start to produce results. Um, there was a study by HubSpot and LinkedIn that said 78% of CMOs, chief marketing officers, think content is the future of marketing okay Mm. and two-thirds of them um, feel like branded content is superior to PR direct mail and print advertising so you know that's how it is when uh, when people out there have a chance to block out what they see as propaganda they'll block it out but they'll read we all know yeah (laughs) but they'll pay attention to useful information and eventually it it does lead to sales um, you know, it takes a while, but you, you have to build up organic traffic um, through Google, which happens over time. The more if you produce like a weekly blog of useful yeah. information with, you know, key keywords based on topics that your audience is interested in, over time the search engines will start to rank you and your website will get more traffic. So, and then it's just really a numbers game. You know, it's like how many page views do you usually have and out of those, how many people usually convert and, you know, it starts to work for you. Um, But uh, there was another statistic I got from Content Marketing Institute. They say their average client sees a 10 times lift in overall organic traffic um, due to content marketing. So, you know, that does... 
and eventually. It's it's not always easy to track. You can't always track right. content marketing to sales, which is frustrating to marketers. You can <laughs> do that if you have a what they call a gated asset, that is, uh, say at the end of a blog post, you'll have a link to a white paper with more information. And to get the uh, white paper, people have to fill in a, sh a brief form with their name and email address. And, and then, from that point on, um, you can track them as a, as a contact and, you know, do they buy or not. And then you have something you can directly track to sales. But you have to be careful about that. I mean, white papers can certainly be effective, and I've written a lot of them. But if you're just starting out with content marketing, you don't want to throw out a gated asset like that because it's like, who are you? Why should I give you my information? That's something, again, you build up over time. You build up the trust through posting elsewhere and posting on your blog and maybe speaking, maybe doing podcasts. Um, and then you put the gated asset in and then people are more likely to think, hey, I'd like a little more information about this. And, uh, and that, that's how you can track it to sales. That's crazy. And that's interesting to hear uh, that you're saying that it takes 12 to 24 months to build results. You think in the marketing world that everything is so fast paced and, and you know, it's always quick return on investment. Are people seeing, I guess, CMOs and whatever, are they seeing the value and are they willing to wait more now with the content marketing or is it still a high pressure, fast paced kind of environment? Uh, they have to. That's just how it works. If people are <clears> tuning out your, you know, get rich quick messages, then you have to find some other way of reaching them. You have to reach them as human beings, as in a more natural way. I mean, I think it's a really good thing. I grew up um, with the kind of screaming at in-your-face advertising that other people did too. And so, right. you know, when you find a way of tuning that out, you do. Advertising itself, though, of course, has changed. Now you're seeing some very clever funny, humorous ads, you know, think of all the Geico ads and the progressive ads that uh, often are the Budweiser uh, frogs in their Super Bowl commercial. You're mm -hmm. seeing ads that are, it's like content marketing. They seem, they seem to have almost nothing to do with the brand in terms of promoting the brand or, you know, extolling its features. Instead, they're producing entertainment. That's what you can do in a very short space as opposed to writing an article. You know, you can um, give people useful information in content mm. marketing, in writing, in blog posts and articles, white papers, infographics, video scripts. It can be useful and it can sometimes be entertaining. And advertising, where you have maybe a one-minute spot, I'm thinking of like television advertising, which is what I was talking about, uh, you have to be entertaining for people to pay attention. So they're entertaining without promoting the brand. And then people notice the brand. They respect it because they had fun with the ad. I know I do. I don't turn <laughs> off ads anymore on television. They're fun. Uh, a lot of them are. I mean, some of the lo little local ones are not, but the major <laughs> brands are doing a lot of creative things. And it does, you know, it reinforces the name of the brand. And that's that's about it. But if they enjoy the commercial, it can things can even kind of get go viral on YouTube if they're really clever. Uh, so yeah, I think the way of communicating with customers has really changed. It's it's had to change because uh, customers are in the driver's seat in terms of what they watch and listen to and read. Uh, cool. So brands have had to respond and they've risen to the challenge. And one of the main ways is through content marketing. It's interesting that you mentioned Progressive, uh, their advertisement, 
because um, I think pretty much everybody who will listen to this, at least in the United States, knows about Flo, their, their I guess, spokesperson, who's a, per, you know, I guess, persona. But I've even seen people dressed up at Halloween as Flo. So that um, that's an example that it's I never thought about that as an example of content marketing. I just thought that was an advertisement that kind of resounded with people. It is an advertisement. That is an advertisement as opposed to content marketing. But what I'm saying is advertisers, too, have responded to this uh, consumer power movement where the consumers are choosing what they listen to or or tune out or read or tune out. And the way they're doing it is by um, being creative. And it's very interesting you mentioned flow because character is a great way of doing that character. People are naturally attuned to uh, characters, people, and stories. Character and plot. Okay. You know, the heart of fiction, the heart of tales, going back to the Iliad and the Odyssey. Uh, that's what captures our imagination. And so if brains are able to cue into that, um, you know, the Geico Gecko is another example. That's, right. that's great for advertising. Content marketing, you don't use characters so much, but you can use customer stories and, you know, okay. interviews with people who who maybe use the product or maybe who don't have anything to do with the product, but are, find themselves in the, and having the same kinds of problems that um, your potential customers have. And this is how this person solved it. It's interesting. It's a personal story. People get into okay. that kind of thing. So it's really a matter of, you know, paying attention to psychology and just um, relating hmm. to people as people rather than, you know, consumers and somebody who's, how can I get this person to buy? First, you have to get them to trust you and listen to you. <laughs> and they'll only do that if you provide honest, good, interesting information. Now, you mentioned uh, earlier talking about the customer journey, and I think that would be something analogous to what we call a user path or essentially a user journey in technical writing where, you know, you, you assume or kind of, you know, model where they're going to get to the desired result. Can you talk about that with the customer journey with marketing and how it all rolls together? Yeah, I don't get too involved in, in all of that. I see a lot of it from marketers, but you know, the basic idea is that, um, Especially for B2B, I do a lot of B2B content marketing writing. Okay. And for even without content marketing, in the B2B process, a, a customer isn't going to walk in and buy, um, you know, a six-figure, uh, say, integrated technology solution um, in a day. It's not going to happen. So right. it's, it's a process that they <laughs> have to go through. And I guess the first step in the process is comparing vendors and finding a vendor that they trust. And that's where content marketing can give someone a real advantage. Uh, and then after that, they, you know, they have their own concerns that have to be satisfied one by one. Salespeople sometimes call them obstacles and, and uh, you know, what, what about security? What about this? What about that? And then the, hopefully your product can address that. And that's, then it's a matter of the salesperson, um, taking the customer through that journey where they, you know, they find, yeah, this is how this works and your concern is answered here or here or we can't answer it here, but we're better than nine-tenths of the other brand be- brands mm. because of this, that, or the other. So that's kind of how that part works. And they talk about a funnel where it goes, okay. you know, in the beginning, they're, they're all over the place. They're just gathering information. 
that's the stage where content marketing comes in. It comes in at the beginning, and I guess through the middle too, when it can some of it can get um, kind of in depth about uh, the type of thing that the person might be wanting to buy, uh, and then you know it funnels down to a customer's specific concerns at the sales level, and the sales sales team will be working on that. <clears throat> okay, you seem to be mentioning trust a lot and building trust a lot of that. How do you? You know, how do you personally find gigs or how do people find out about you? I assume that a lot of what's the stuff you're writing, you don't get an actual byline. So it's kind of the, the marketing, the content that you're creating is, is essentially anonymous, but representing the brand. How do you, how do people find you? How do you get your gigs? I guess is, is my question. Uh, different ways. Actually, I do often have a byline. There are a lot of brands that okay. want to show, you know, we have outside writers writing this and they'll have brief bios of their writers too, showing that many of us have a journalism background or tend to write about thus and such a topic or blog about it. Uh, so yeah, that, that often happens and then people will see my byline and uh, contact me. But you're right, there's other times when I, uh, I don't get a byline and I also do ghost writing for executives sometimes okay. and it has their byline. <laughs> so you know, oh, there's right. no way. But uh, I really try hard to give the client what they want, to do everything I possibly can to make my content as good as it can be, as readable as it can be, and to, I really pay attention to who their audience is and how best to reach them, and to give them the tone that they want and the kind of content that they want and, you know, any, and try to get it done. I'm pretty fast because I have that journalism background, so... A lot of times I've helped clients in a pinch get stuff done on a tight deadline. Mm. And uh, so I make sure that I'm communicating well with the client and really giving them what they want. And, you know, because I have a journalism background, I can do that and give, you know, produce content that's um, easy to understand, that's concise, that's fun to read, that's, you know, fulfills all the requirements and then some. And so they tend to be happy with that, and they, I'm told I do well with metrics. So, you know, in, that, in situations like that, I've had my name passed around, and someone else will say, well, I know you work for so-and-so, and they really thought highly of you, and we have this campaign. Do you think you can help us? So that happens. Um, I also have a website, and it's just an individual website, so it can't compete with huge corporate websites. But I do get, you know, occasional calls just from my website, and I work through a lot of platforms like Contently and eByline and Skyward. And so uh, I'm listed on their websites too. And so I get work through that. So um, there's a number of ways, but I have a lot of repeat clients who just okay. do things, uh, you know, over and over. So that's, that's always good. And then other people just pass my name around. I also do some things in the HR space. I didn't mention that, but okay. uh, I I work with an executive recruiter, and uh, what I do is interview executives who are candidates for positions, and write up profiles, like two to three page profiles about them, uh, for them. Huh. And that's uh, that's pretty steady work. So it's good if you're doing content marketing to. Uh, or any kind of freelancing to try to find what they call an anchor client. I suppose that one is probably my anchor client. Okay. Um, somebody who will, you know, can reliably provide you with steady work 
uh, as well as, you know, others that come and go. And that's the other uh, hitch of content marketing or any marketing. Marketing programs don't last forever. You know, that right. um, probably the longest I've done content marketing for a brand is two years. And after that, it's like, oh, okay. okay, we've met our goals. We've, you know, we've increased our sales or we've uh, increased our views. People have a better idea of who we are. You, you have to have goals when you first start a content marketing program. and Or, we haven't met our goals, but our budget's been slashed, our company's not doing very well, something's got to get cut, and hmm. what they cut is marketing. So, uh, that happens. So, you need to have uh, a wide base. You need to always be marketing, and like any time okay. when you're on your own. Uh, always looking for that new client, and if you can find a steady client or two, that's the ideal. Cool. So it sounds like part of your daily job or, you know, whenever you get a new a new uh, client is you have to research not only the company itself, but uh, their but their clients or I guess in the tech writer plates, their users. Can you tell us about your process and, and, you know, how you get from the research phase to a final published pro- product? Well, it kind of depends on whether I'm working with the client directly or through one of these platforms platforms like Contently or Skyward, if it's through one of the platforms, they usually have the initial discussions with the brand and they'll give me instructions about, uh, you know, audience, voice, tone, sometimes increasingly they have a style manual, Um, sometimes they have keywords that they want me to use, things like that. And then if I have any questions, I'll discuss it with um, with the editor usually and sometimes talk to the client too. It depends. I'm sometimes in on client calls. With clients that I work with, like sometimes for the, uh, not the huge fortune companies, but smaller companies, I'll help them set up a content marketing program because they don't really know how it works. And it's like, then I go through with them, well, who's your audience? Who are you trying to reach? What kinds of concerns do they have? Let's write down 10 and then 20, 30 uh, questions that you're getting from customers uh, talk to your staff, what kinds of um, problems are they having or what are they seeing from the client to figure out, you know, what what kinds of things you, we're going to write about to reach this audience and um, and get their blog started just to, you know, help them get it started. Uh, and then, you know, they have to decide do they want an outside person to write it, do they want to write it themselves. If they're not fortune companies, a lot of times... I encourage them to write it themselves because, to be frank, they can't afford to hire me <laughs> because my <laughs> rates are, you know, with Fortune 500 and 100 companies. So it can really be pretty simple. And this is what um, I show brands. That, like I, I work with some companies that they have situations that come up with their clients, conversations with clients that can turn into a short 500 word or even three or 400 word blog post with their own take on it and what it means or something will happen say in the financial world if it's a financial client or you know something they'll they'll read about something in the trade press uh maybe there's an article in the general press that they can link to and base their their blog post on that just a few little paragraphs about this is my take on this that's really all you need Mm. to do if you're a you know a smaller brand getting started, and anybody can do that. 
I would recommend that they get an editor, like I edit some of these companies' hmm. blogs, the smaller ones, and that way okay. you can make the writing sing. But it's you know they're the ones giving their take on the information, sounding like an expert. It's their byline, um, and that's you know that's really all they need to do. So in those cases, um, I work with them to help them produce the content. Um, okay. Yeah, and when I'm working myself with the larger brands. Uh, yeah, once I do find out about um, audience style tone, I start to do research on my subject. So I do a lot of internet research, and uh, some clients pay for interviews and stories, which I think is marvelous. Interviews nice. just add, just seeing a quote breaks up the text, and it adds life mm. to a story. It's a real person in there talking about their experience. So I love to do those and. So if there's interviews involved, I um, unless they give me people to interview, which usually they don't, I find subjects to interview and set up my interviews and and um, and then kind of integrate what the people in the interviews say with what my research says. And uh, then I don't know, the magic sort of takes over when you're a writer. <laughs> <laughs> the lead, what they call the lead, the opening, is the most important part. That's the part people pay most right. attention to. They're gonna. A lot of people are gonna drop off after that, so that has to be really good. And I spend a lot of time on my leads, getting that right. And once I do get it right, the rest of the story just kind of flows from that. It's almost like I'm on autopilot. It organizes. I have an hmm. idea of the organization, but it pretty much writes itself. And it's fun. You get into this creative process they call flow. <laughs> right, I mentioned yes. that word again, but uh, and you know. And the result tends to be good when you're in there. So I really enjoy it. Nice. It sounds like there's a lot of parallels between what we as technical writers are doing and what you're doing as content marketing. I'm hearing phrases, metrics and voice and tone and style guide and keywords and focusing on the lead. Or, you know, if you're in the structured authoring world like I am, our short description, which we know you know, is the same thing as a lead is basically you have to tell the people what's in this topic and why they should read it and why it's relevant to them is, can you see, I mean, I assume there's a career path from technical writing into um, content marketing. Can you talk to that a little bit? Uh, it sounds like, I mean, it's, you know, a lot of the background stuff sounds similar, but it sounds like we're talking from different sides of the, of a conversation. Can you see a path from technical writing into content marketing? Uh, I think there could be for the right person because as a technical writer, you you really know how to organize information, and that's crucial to any kind of writing, including content marketing. It's you know if something and I've seen pieces that just sort of ramble on, and then mm. somebody tries to tie it together with a conclusion, but it's not really there. So um, that's you know if you can get that what they call in journalism a nut graph which might be the second paragraph um, in a journalism or content marketing story where it does tie together, this is what this story is going to be about, and with content marketing, this is why you want to read it. Uh, if you're able to, to do that, that's the most important part. And, um, and I would say hone your interviewing skills, because that's, that can be a, a good part of content marketing. But there are many stories where the client just wants you to do internet research. So... Then it's a matter of organizing the information, which a technical writer would be able to do very well, and following the requirements about um, the client's requirements. You, you know, you could certainly handle that. You know what that is, how to do the keywords, and how to if they have those, and 
and follow the length requirements and so forth and so on. Um, having good topic sentences and subheads, all of that is in, in you as a technical writer, for people who are technical writers. Um, I would say just consider the human angle even a little more because mm. this is for outside people, not inside people who are reading this content to do a particular task. It's for people who you're trying to engage with more because they might not want to read your content. So think on a human level. Think, is there any, is there humor that I can inject into this story? Is there color, what we call in journalism, color, details, sensory images, um, sight, smell, taste, touch, description of experiences? Um, that sort of thing makes a story come to life. And you don't have that in technical writing. Um, so I would consider that. There's an author, um, Janet Burroway. She used to teach at Florida State. And uh, she's she's written books about writing. There's one called Bird by Bird. I think she wrote that one. It's, it's really good. I would recommend that book. Um, or other just books about, you know, writing. Stephen King has one. You know, fiction writers writing about writing. Because you're getting a little more into the realm of creative writing. It's not totally right. creative, but fiction, you know, ways to reach people through your writing when it's not just 100% factual, it's, um, it's about setting a scene and putting the person in the scene and making them want to read on. Uh, and there are techniques for doing that. But, you know, even if you don't know those techniques or, or, st or read my ebook, <laughs> that would be another thing I'd recommend. I really would. Um, but even without those, you know, just follow your instincts as a human. What are you interested in? If you start noticing, hmm. if you read something online and it makes you laugh or you'd like to save it because you notice, gee, that was really good. I think I'll pass it on to a friend. Start looking at it and what made it good? You know, what, what did you like about it? And how might you incorporate those techniques into your own writing? All right, let's plug your book and talk a little bit about that. Can you tell us about your ebook? <laughs> My ebook. Well, it's funny the way that came about is uh, I was working with a client who was trying to write his own blog, and uh, and he really wanted extra help. He wanted help on how to write, and um, I had a little bit of teaching experience when I was in graduate school at the University of Virginia in English, but not that much. So I did some research myself and um, put together, I was asked to put together a course and, you know, I'm not oh. an educator, I'm not a teacher, uh, but I kind of, I, it made me pay attention, well, what are the fundamentals of writing? Because I've been doing it for so long that it just comes naturally to me. And right. so this forced me to sit down and think about it. So I thought about it and I did research and I, I read some of these books that I mentioned and I used my own experience, and uh, I, I sat down to write a course, but it didn't really turn into a course. It turned into an ebook. Huh. Um, and so it's basically an ebook talking about the elements of good writing. What is good writing? What makes it good? How does it work? What's in it that other writing doesn't have? And what can you do to achieve that in different forms of writing, like even in an email and, and blog posts and you know, other kinds of writing, white papers, marketing, collateral. Um, what makes it good? What can you do to make it shine? And so I put that into the ebook. Uh, this was in 2013. 
and then I um, published it on Amazon. And uh, so that's available as a resource. And there's other good resources too, some of the books that I mentioned. Um, you know, Janet Burway, Stephen King, who are some of the other good ones? I can't think off the top of my head, but uh, there's some, you know, top writers who write about writing techniques. And um, But mine is, it's it doesn't say content marketing, it's called Say It With Feeling, um, okay. writing for the internet age. And uh, and that's really hmm. the key, you know, <laughs> put, put, put expression into what you write, put feeling, put sensory images. Um, because those are the things that people naturally relate to. Uh, and Makes also sense. images, even. And that's, you know, getting outside my realm. Although, I do video scripts. And, uh, okay. and for those, for animated videos, it's very creative. I do come up with images and then write the script. And you can, you can have papers flying around. You can create, you know, avatars, characters, all sorts of things with that. It's, it's a lot of fun and creative. And you have images working for you. Um, but anyway, what I was going to say is images are really, our brains are wired to be super mm. receptive to images. And we notice them more than we do writing. If you have a page of any kind of writing, whether it's an article, newspaper article, blog, uh, anything, if you have an image on there, and I'm talking anything, it could be a boring little chart uh, people's and no matter where it is on the page, people's eyes will go there first. They've done studies showing that on right. trackers. So that images capture people's attention. So that's another thing I didn't mention in content marketing. You really need to have an image either at the opening or some people put it maybe beneath the first two paragraphs. Personally, I think it's best to have it on top. Um, and even if it's a stock image, I mean, frankly, those are pretty boring. But hmm. even that's way, way better than nothing, right. just to get people's attention and you know get them to reading your, reading your post. So that's important too. But yeah, so my book talks about that, and it talks about other things that you can do to make your content come alive, and you know write something that people are going to read. <laughs> All right, tech writers, add more images. I think that's the takeaway here. We need more, we need more screenshots and we need more graphics. And I agree with you that at the top of the page, it seems to be more effective. Um, <clears throat> even on my own blog, I found that it's, it's engaging and I make sure that I put an image, uh, you know, right at the top to, to, to draw people in. All right, Teresa. So, um, now we've gotten all the tech writers ready to, uh, transition to a career in tech, uh, content marketing, but, uh, there's gotta be a downside. Can you tell us about some of the challenges that you face in content marketing? Well, it's the downside is that you're on your own out there okay. and uh, it can be tough, especially when you're first starting to find enough work, to find steady work. Um, if you have a day, if you want to get into this field and you have a day job, uh, try to not to quit your day job um, mm. at first. If you can possibly do some of it on the side or at least find potential clients on the side that would be willing to work with you so that you have something set up. Um, and uh, yeah, there can be dry periods, even with a steady client. Um, and, and as I said, uh, marketing, it's, you know, content marketing is a subset of marketing, so it's not a permanent thing. Um, people have a, a program and it goes on for, you know, uh, a week to two weeks to as, much, as long as two years, but it does come to an end. So. You always have to be marketing yourself. 
which I wasn't sure I'd feel comfortable with, but I, right. it turns out I kind of, I kind of am. I enjoy talking with people. I, it's, I naturally, I'm a people person. And then, you know, I'm, it's, it's fun to kind of research, well, where, where's a good place to reach out? How can I find it? And how can I find who to talk to? Um, so you need to be comfortable doing that. But you may find when you have to pay the bills, you're amazingly comfortable with it. <laughs> so uh, that's the downside is that there's not security. But okay. um, as someone wrote in my husband's yearbook a, a long time ago in college, relax, there is no security. And my husband would tell <laughs> you it's, you know, people get laid off in jobs, um, careers change. We're in a period of tremendous technological disruption. And uh, I could, I've been writing about AI, artificial intelligence. Um, oh, nice. We could have a whole podcast on that and how that's going to disrupt everything and, and take away a lot of even white collar jobs. Right. Though I don't think it can write the kind of stuff I do yet. Um, <laughs> Let's hope. You never know. So there's a lot of disruption anyway. So even if you have a steady job, it may not be as steady as you think. So that's the context you can tell yourself when you're when you're on your own doing content marketing or doing anything else as a freelancer. Um, nobody is really secure, but you're running your mm. own business, and uh, right. it's fun. It motivates you. It's much more motivating to to seek business for yourself rather than do it for somebody else. Interesting. That's a, that's a good point. <clears throat> and to, to, along in those lines of your point um, and promoting yourself, it was interesting because you and I had some follow-up emails after Content Marketing World, and you wrote to me that I collected 69 business cards and fill, followed up with everybody. Uh, I have at least one new account and several promising leads. At the end of the year, I'll look about whether I recoup my expenses from the conference break even or end up at a loss. And if it's a loss, I won't go back. So it sounded like you had a good experience um, at Content Marketing World, and it sounds like it was fruitful for you. Can you share with us how you just go about what your what your conference strategy is and how you just go up to 69 people and say, hi, how are you? Well, first of all, I think I was being overly harsh on myself. When I, I mean, there's no way it could break even by the end of the year if it was a September conference. Uh, I think I'm in, in before the next year. So hopefully it'll do that. I'm not there yet, but uh, definitely it was worthwhile. Um, so yeah, um, at the conference, I kind of developed my way of uh, of doing it. I went primarily to make contacts, although I did go to workshops there too. Um, but I would look at people's badges and um, look at does this you know look like somebody who uh, I might want to write content marketing for who might need my services and if so I would um, approach them and um, you know I'm not a wallflower it's just uh, like I say <laughs> I like talking to people anyway and uh, I would just go up and start talking and. Um, I don't know, maybe you can always mention something around you, aren't these cookies good, or where hmm. <laughs> did you go to this or that workshop and what did you think? I don't know, I can't even okay. remember how I started. It's just like being at a party, however you start a conversation. And then uh, I try to do some listening because people right. enjoy talking about themselves and um, and I actually honestly enjoy listen, learning about people, seeing what their experience is, where do they work, What's it like there? What kinds of you know? What kinds of challenges do they face? What do they do without even getting into content marketing necessarily? Um, it's just a matter right. of listening, and people like to be listened to. But you know, if you're a writer, you're you're endlessly fascinated by people and their stories, and I really am. So 
I just enjoy learning about people. And eventually, you know, it's especially at a content marketing conference that it doesn't take long for the subject to come up and they find out what I do and, uh, you know, we exchange our cards. And, um, you know, for most, most people that I met probably won't ever use my services, but some people have passed me on to others who will and, and some people have taken me on. So, uh, yeah, definitely um, worthwhile. You just have to uh, not be afraid to approach people. Because everybody's there to meet people. They want to meet you as much True. as you want to meet them. True. I guess it's a little bit of an East Coast versus West Coast thing. Because I remember uh, when you approached me at Content Marketing World and I was getting a drink. I think there was it was a happy hour or something like that. And you just started talking to me. And I'm like, you know, my, my East Coast came up and said, who is this person? What the hell does she want for me kind of thing? <laughs> uh, you know, but it, came, it actually had a, we had a great conversation. We talked about drinks and we talked about your career and journalism and you even introduced me to some other people that I had conversations with and look I mean it you know I'll probably never use your services to be frank either but now we're talking on a podcast and we're we're you know we're getting ourselves out there again yeah that's what's great about conferences you never know where anything will lead i mean and that's just in the regular world too people have um, pass my name along to people i never would have suspected or people i only knew tangentially have Past my name, so you just never know where anything's going to lead, and uh, it's it's good to be extroverted. Just because, yeah. Even if you nothing ever goes anywhere, you're learning from other people how their business mm. works, and it, it'll inform your work in some way um, at some point. Yeah, it might be difficult. Uh, I know that a lot of people in the tech communication space are kind of introverted, so it's. Um, you know, I know it's difficult for people to put themselves out there like that, but I think if they listen to some of your tips and this, you know, the conversation starters that you had, it, it might be helpful, you know, for them to get them out of their shell and, 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 you know, get to know people a little better. So little, little, little conference tip there from Teresa. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you can see on someone's card where they're from usually, oh, you flew in all the way from California or Oh, you're right from right here in Cleveland. It's uh, you know you can just base it on that. I mean, it's it's not hard. Practice at parties. It's just like a big party. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Uh, now you're talking um, about self promotion, and I know that your Twitter handle is the same as your other website called Domesticus. Can you tell us a little bit about more about that? I know it doesn't seem like you've been maintaining it a lot lately, but uh, has that been helpful for you? No, I let my blog go. I started okay. it when I was in the technical writing program at University of Washington. Um, during spring break, I decided we were all encouraged to develop a website. And so I decided I'm going to do it. And, uh, and that's when I did it. And actually, it was very challenging the way I did it. I was, it was either choose a WordPress free theme or buy a mm. premium theme for my WordPress blog or hire a designer. And I didn't want to spend the money on hiring a designer. And I hated all of the free sites that I looked at. <laughs> and so some of the premium themes I looked at, uh, they looked so good in the examples. And then I started looking into it, and it was limiting. You couldn't quite do this or do that. Oh. So I found this uh, software online that's 
they made it sound like there'd be templates. It's, it looked absolutely gorgeous, and you have incredible flexibility. It said you can do all these things custom, however you want to set it up, without having to know coding. So I thought, wow, that's for me. So I bought that hmm. software. So then I was committed, only to find that there wasn't really uh, there wasn't a manual to go with it. There was um, hmm. this one guy who was a customer just developed his own instructions, which were heavily SEO based, and turned me off. And oh, the wow. developer had some bad videos trying to explain <laughs> it, and uh, there were no templates like I had thought. So I was I was at sea, and I had to develop my own theme. And um, I did need to use some coding. I got some help on the forum, a lot of help on the forum, and tore my hair out over spring break. But I, I actually did it. I created my own theme, and then developing the rest of the website on WordPress was easy. You can do that. Anybody can do that. Uh, so once I had that going, um, I made a couple of other websites. And one of them was Domesticus I bought and decided to start a blog. So... I started my blog and it was really fun for a while, but I got so busy with my work um, with content marketing that I really just haven't kept up my blog, unfortunately. Uh, gotcha. But I should really go back to it. It occurs to me I could blog about content marketing, and that's what you're supposed to blog about, what you're an expert about. Right. Um, but Domesticus was really more of a personal site. It was like my take on things. and. You know, going to a classic, my husband and I like classic cars, so I'd, he'd have beautiful pictures from the classic car shows, and I'd write about that. Things like that. So it was more of a lifestyles blog, and uh, I kind of don't want to change it. I know, maybe I'll start a different blog on content marketing. I could certainly do right, that. Okay. Um, but unfortunately, I've let my personal blog slide. Um, so, yeah, promoting myself is really... I just, my name's out there, it's on bylines, it's it's listed on a lot of professional sites, um, okay. and, you know, and if someone does contact me, I pay attention to their needs, and it's like, okay, here's, you know, you might, I've done stories for thus and such client, which is like your clients, not just, you know, my big impressive client list, and, you know, is this whatever you're looking for, here's what I could do to address it, so... It's just paying a lot of individual attention to the client and trying to give them what they need. Interesting to hear your woes with uh, your WordPress say and the lack of documentation. The the uh, lament of our of our field. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean WordPress. There's plenty of books on WordPress. Once right. you, a setting up a WordPress site is not hard, and I did use one of those books, and it was very helpful. But a theme, you know, it's the basic thing. It's the the interface that you use to put your blog, it's the platform for your blog. Um, and right. I would, I wouldn't recommend that anybody try to develop their own theme as a beginner. I only fell into it by accident, but once I did, I really understood how my website works. So if something goes wrong, right. I can usually fix it myself. I can make changes, you know, things that I, that I wouldn't be able to do otherwise, because I'm not really a geek. Um, <laughs> just <laughs> jumped into the deep end when I was doing the developing of my sites. Yeah. Nice. So what kind of classic cars do you like? Do you have a favorite brand or a favorite car? Uh, I like 50s cars. They're, okay. I guess after the 50s is when things started to change in my mind, get a little less classic and a little more 
ugly. <laughs> the old cars with the tail fins, uh, those are so, so pretty. And, um, and even, you know, cars back in the 30s and the 20s, I don't know if I'd want to own one and maintain it, but it's, it's very interesting. History is an interest of mine. And I remember at one show, somebody had a, um, a, a 20s car. It was an old Ford, and the inside had the, it's very unusual, had the original interior in there. And I just put my head in and smelled it and felt hmm. it, and I could almost imagine, I so wanted to ride in it. But I could imagine what it was like to be a person in the 1920s and, and riding that car, how it felt, what the experience was like to live in another time. That's always interested me. So that's part cool. of the reason I like the classic cars. And my husband likes them a lot, too. So, And he's a photographer, so he takes really good pictures of them. Oh, cool. And do you have uh, pictures of his work on your site, on Domesticus? I mean, you know, it hasn't been updated in a while. Do you have pictures that he has contributed? Uh, all those pictures, all those classic car pictures on Domesticus are his. Cool. Cool. So everyone will have to take a look at that. And maybe uh, the increased traffic will uh, spur Teresa to, to update her blog. <laughs> so, so the last thing I wanted to mention or I wanted to ask you about was uh, particularly because we had a, a, a inauguration of our new president yesterday. And uh, one of the interesting things I saw on your resume is that for a time you were a press secretary for a congressional run. Can you talk about that a little bit? Oh, yes. That kind of fell into my lap, too. That was soon after I left the Miami Herald. Um, someone passed my name along, so I was the press secretary for a, a candidate running for a congressional seat in Florida. Um, and I really didn't like it. It was 24-7 <laughs> work. Well, now I pretty much work 24-7, but I yeah. didn't like the political realm. In journalism, they say there's two kinds of people who go into it. The Napoleons and the Shakespeare's. The Napoleons <laughs> are people who are interested in politics and power and how it works and being near those people and, you know, perhaps have a political change agenda um, themselves. Um, I would say they're probably the majority. And then there's the Shakespeare's. I was a Shakespeare. I was in it for the writing, the human angle. How do people think about things? How do they feel? I get to interview them and find out and talk about their experiences and then use my skills to write it up. Um, so that was really my interest in politics. Uh, I remember my husband saying, I can't imagine anything more exciting, but <laughs> it just, it just wasn't for me. So, um, I really haven't, haven't pursued that. Interesting. Well, you've had a really interesting, diverse career, a lot of entrepreneurial stuff going out there. Uh, I, I think you're in, very inspirational and, uh, you really enlightened me and I hope our listeners about content marketing. Can you remind us again where we can find you and your work? Oh, sure. Uh, my website's the easiest place, and the address is easy, too. It's just TeresaMeek.com, Teresa with no H, T-E-R-E-S-A-M-E-E-K.com. And I have links to a lot of my stories there. If people want to read examples of content marketing and, and how it works, uh, and, and, you know, a little bit bio about me and uh, and some of the clients that I work for and things like that. So that would be a good place to start. Um, and thank you very much, Ed. It's been a pleasure talking with you. I, I feel honored that you invited me to do this. 
Thank you very hey, much. The pleasure is, is all mine. And uh, I noticed that, you know, on your Twitter, which is also Domesticus, and we'll link to all this in the show notes on edmarsh.com, that you're putting uh, links and stuff about content marketing out there. So if anyone is interested in learning more about the field or learning more about what's going on in content marketing, I'd recommend following Teresa on Twitter. And again, it's Domesticus, D-O-M-E-S-T-I-C-U-S. So... Um, like I mentioned, we'll put make well, I'll make sure we put a link to your ebook and also the other books that you referred to uh, on the post of this podcast on edmarsh.com. Um, a reminder to me, or a reminder to you, not to me, I know where I am. Um, you can find me on Twitter at edmarsh in all one word. And of course, uh, there's more links to my work and my background and my blog at edmarsh.com. Uh, with the Content Content Podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes, TuneIn Radio, and the Google Play Podcast Store. I would really appreciate it if you write a review. Uh, we don't have a whole lot of reviews up there yet, but it's a way to, for me to get the podcast out there and to get uh, get more listeners uh, like you. So please write a review. Um, if you're on Android like me, you can go to edmarsh.com slash podcast and subscribe using your favorite podcasting client. As I've mentioned many times, my favorite is Beyond Pod, and I'm not paid to say that. Um, finally, uh, a note that I will be presenting again at the STC Philadelphia Metro Conduit Conference on April 1st. Uh, this year I'm talking about data-driven content, driving your docs with data. So uh, hope to see you there, and uh, if you are, let's get a beer afterwards. So Teresa, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for taking your time on a lovely Saturday afternoon. Um, thanks again for your insight. I appreciate it. Thank you, Ed. All right, everyone. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. We'll talk to you soon.